We are musicians. John Baxter is a young composer whose compositional work has been described as a great spiritual experience. He explores the tense and mercurial chasm between musician and listener. As a film composer, he's written for more than 45 projects, including feature films, commercials, video games, and musicals. In concert composition, John Baxter has stayed active in creating works for several diverse ensembles. Current projects include a tuba concerto for the Richmond Pops, a new symphonic work to be premiered by the Sophia Philharmonic Orchestra, and a commissioned trio for the Applied Triangle Ensemble. A professional composer, conductor, arranger, and producer, John would love to talk with you about your upcoming project. His website is johnbaxtermusic.com. J-O-H-N-B-A-X-T-E-R music.com. We chatted online about young students and traditional music and the challenges that young composers face when learning how to compose. Well, if a young student, like 12 years old or so, goes to an orchestra and they're playing only Mozart and uh, only, you know, Cherubini or, or Beethoven, like they'll hear that and think, oh, that's old music. Okay, not for me. But if an orchestra plays something that, for lack of a better term, like rocks, like it actually sort of appeals to uh, a sense of uh, youthful vitality, not that, you know, that music didn't, but I feel like it could be a better introduction, which is where, you know, pops orchestras, I feel like they're on the rise. And uh, I think they do a lot of good work. Uh, for instance, you know, live to film uh, readings. I think those are hugely popular. Like one of my students was a big Star Wars fan. So uh, I told him, hey, you should consider going to a live concert that has John Williams music. Whenever I was at Yale, I was on a pops group and uh, people would actually like applaud during the middle of a piece just because they're like, hey, I know that. That feels familiar. That, that you know, brings me some sort of joy. So that could be, you know, a, a sort of bridge that could be a, a stepping stone into, hey, now that you heard that, maybe you could listen to this stuff. Like Beethoven did some really cool stuff. Let's look at this Wagner stuff. Look at this um, Tchaikovsky stuff. So, yeah, I, I think that could be a transition. how you wrote through it all yeah um it was it's it, i wrote it a while ago actually so it was record it was a uh, read through by the frost symphony orchestra last uh december but it was written about two years before that which happens a lot there are still pieces i've written whenever i was first starting like 10 years ago now that have never been heard by anybody but um but this one it, it deals just a lot with the idea of um tension and and uh, and release of that tension so the first chord is a is a d minor nine chord so d a e uh and then that's obviously a bit of a, a, a dissonance so it rises up to the f and then uh, the next chord is a b flat nine and then a d nine and then a c nine so there's a lot of nine chords happening which are resolving upwards and um yeah it, it started with just those chords uh and but uh then whenever 
I was given the opportunity to have it read by the orchestra. I added a lot to it, um, added like a verse and a solo violin passage. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I connected a lot to it because it's simple, uh, which I think is a, can be a powerful thing for listeners. Uh, obviously there are some classical composers who do not much keep the listener in mind. Um, and obviously when we say classical composer, that doesn't mean like writing in the style of the classical period from, you know, 1750 to 1820, um, but more like writing for, for concert composition. So those are sort of the words that I, that I've been hearing more days is concert composition versus like media composition, uh, media being like pop songs, rock songs, musicals, commercials. Um, so yeah, I, I think the chords are simple. I think it's easy to lash onto, but it has some interesting parts as well uh, in terms of uh, not strict tonality. But um, but yeah, I think it's a I think it's a can be a powerful piece. So I'm really thankful to the Frost Orchestra for reading through it. Obviously, it was a, a, a sight reading, so we didn't have much time to rehearse it. But yeah, I got to conduct as well, so it was a whole lot of fun. When I watched you conduct in your video it really struck me how comfortable you are. And it made me wonder whether you were actually doing this as a child or something like this. What were you doing in music as a child? Yeah, um, it's funny you say that because in my head, and, and I think in a lot of conductors' head, there's like a thousand things happening at once. At once. But I know I appreciate that. It's funny you mentioned, you know, you, you were listening to classical piano tracks whenever you were young. Uh, what's funny is I have a video. My, my mother took some home videos of whenever I was like a toddler. And she said that she would just turn on the radio to the classical station and I would just fall asleep. Uh, that was her, her automated babysitter. But, um, but yeah, I, I did not actually do any conducting. What I did do which is maybe an interesting connection is I did dance. So whenever I started like around the high school years, I uh, did show choir and I choreographed and it was the dance captain of my, of my little show choir group. And that was a lot of fun. So I sort of became comfortable, I guess, with moving. This can, however, turn into a detriment because my, uh, my current conducting professor, Maestro Gerard Schwartz, he uh, will say often, stop moving your legs, stop moving your knees, because I'll actually like sway and uh, dance to the music. So it's sort of like reverse dancing, you know, rather than hearing music and dancing to it, you're, you're dancing and creating the music. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting you, you say that because that was that was certainly, you know, not the most relaxed I've ever felt uh, conducting up there. But um but the thing is that with since it's my music, I feel like there's a difference between conducting your own music and conducting something like Stravinsky, obviously. Um, because whenever it's my music, I, I, I know everything that's going to happen. And so really the score is not even necessary. Um, and I can just sort of move to, uh, to what I know will come rather than moving to what, I, what has to come next, uh, given, given, you know, the score's presence. So... Uh, no, not not much actual conducting experience before this time, but I am constantly searching out uh, other opportunities because it is a, a very, I think, important thing, but but it's also, just to be hedonistic, it's also a, a very fun thing to do uh, for me.
you said you were writing music at 14, but you didn't hear it for years later. What drove you to, to write and continue to write music that you couldn't even hear the result of? I began sort of composing with GarageBand at a piano camp um, where they just, I just happened to take a music technology sort of summer course. Uh, and it was a very lightweight course, but it gave me, I guess, um, s- sort of a, a hint of what could be. And then I kept on getting these hints of what could be. And obviously a lot of my music at the beginning was piano music. Um, and so I could just record that and I could hear that because I can just play the note. But if I wanted to, for instance, play like a, a write a piece for solo violin, absolutely not. That was not going to happen because you cannot synthesize that very well at all. I, I still can't these days. Um, but um, but yeah, it was a lot of imagination. And frankly, I, I didn't know any better. So I was writing huge orchestral scores and then I was content with Sibelius's awful playback of it. And what's also interesting is that it sort of influenced what I wrote for. Uh, for instance, uh, brass sounds horrible in every single software yeah, ever. It does. Uh, yeah, and so so these days I don't think I've written a single like brass quintet or a brass solo piece, uh, just because I, I I never really I guess trusted it. I never it never came to mind. Strings sound fine usually, uh, not good but better. Uh, and so that I sort of wrote more for strings, but yeah, I, I mean, had I not had that Sibelius software or GarageBand Logic Pro, then I would not have heard it, and maybe I wouldn't have continued just because I, I would just be like, why am I even doing this? I'm just spinning my wheels. I'm not going anywhere. Um, but yeah, it just sort of kept giving me a taste of it, and um, and yeah, I wish I'd been more active. Like I, I wish I could have like contacted the local colleges like orchestra and been like, would you mind just, you know, one, just even looking over it. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, again, I, I wish that we would have more advocacy for that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, a lot of electronic production before then, uh, creating music with sample instruments, which obviously as we've discussed, isn't the best, but can hold you over for a while. In light of the fact that many young people today don't have access to an orchestra in order to learn orchestration. First of, first of all, what orchestras did you have available for you to learn? And how can a young person navigate that challenge today? I thankfully had an opportunity to work with, um, to have a, a small reading by the Yale Symphony Orchestra whenever I was a senior. I, I'm very thankful because I was I was actually not a music major, but um, but I just took all of the music classes, and so I knew the professors, and I begged them for three years to let me have uh, my score uh, a score on the reading. So uh, yeah, the YSO is a fantastic organization that one rehearsal out of the semester they will uh, devote just to reading through new student you know students new music, and it's it's a it's a wonderful tool. Uh, it taught me a whole lot. But yeah, that's that's where Water came from, the, the second track in that playlist. Um, they I only got about, you know, 10 minutes of rehearsal out of it, but that was like nine more than I needed. So that was a, I was very thankful to have that. Didn't have to shell out like over five thousand dollars to hire an orchestra. So, uh, yeah, I was very thankful for that. Uh, often, you know, even if you have like a minute with an orchestra, 
like, you know, I think it would be fantastic for like the, you know, the New York Philharmonic or, or the LA Philharmonic to just say like, hey, let's try to do some community outreach. Let's give students a minute or something uh, so that they can play their music with an orchestra. And even just having chords, just like whole notes can teach you so much about balance and who the, who the, the quote bullies of the orchestra are. And this is the trumpets, always the trumpets. But, um, but yeah, even something like that would just be immensely helpful. And, and then they would have that video and that would be an amazing experience so that they could actually play with a full professional orchestra. Um, and it would take like 10 minutes of the orchestra's time. Like they just 10 minutes of one rehearsal, uh, just choosing like 10 students in the community. Uh, that's what I wish there were more of. And I do see those every now and then these days. But I, I do wish that there were more for the young students and, and for anyone, really, uh, because it's just a wonderful experience. It's really strange. Uh, last semester at Frost, you know, they had the, the Frost uh, readings and I was like, wow, what a wonderful opportunity. And then it was me and one other person who submitted. That's it. There were only two people out of all the students. And I think it may be because the orchestra is out of popularity among the new music composers, the avant-garde composers. I think they sometimes think of it as sort of a traditional old-fashioned kind of thing, whereas they prefer, you know, a five-piece ensemble, which is fine. Uh, that's that's fine. They, they're they finding really interesting and sometimes bizarre combinations of instruments. But yeah, it's uh, it's for me. So I, I, I do hope that we can find more venues for any composer really to uh, to work with an orchestra. Obviously, there is electronic orchestration, but that is nowhere similar because you can manipulate all of that. If you can just take the volume down on the trumpets and that's fine, put the volume up on the violas and there you go. You hear them again. So, yeah. I was fully intending to be a music major uh, when I matriculated, but then I took music theory one, <laughs> which um, uh, was not taught very well. And I thought in my dumb freshman brain, I thought, oh, this is the way that all of this is going to be. All you're going to be doing is telling me what I can and cannot do with my music. Like, I, you know, I think the class was called like theory and composition one or something. So I was like, oh, look, I like composition. I do that. And so I would like bring my piece to the professor and she would be like, this is wrong. And I'd be like, what do you mean it's wrong? Music can't be wrong. And she has said, oh, well, your, your seventh is flat and, in, in the, and you have to, it has to be sharp. Now, not saying that that is wrong, obviously, but, um, but it was taught in a wrong way. So the way it should have been is, hey, I mean, this is part of the current discussion today in music theory and it's sort of, uh, you know, racist overtones is the idea that, you know, saying music theory is all music ever. What, it, what the class should have been called was style of the 18th century. And that would have told me, oh, this isn't the way my music is supposed to be. We're just learning counterpoint. We're just learning these things that were present in the 18th century and might be helpful, might be helpful, not are correct uh, or are incorrect. I think that's the way that, that that class should have been taught. And that's why I did not major in music, but I did major in psychology which, you know, perhaps might help me in terms of teaching, in terms of film scoring, in terms of, you know, psychological connection and music. But um, yeah, I just, I enjoyed the, uh, the connection of people as a social psychology major. When did you know music was going to be it for you? What's funny, it's not really funny, but I guess we could call it funny, 
is I was a psychology major in college and yeah, I, I had sort of given up on a profession in music thinking that, you know, it was all theory and uh, avant-garde, complicated, bizarre stuff. But then I applied for grad schools and got into no psychology programs. But on a whim, I threw in some music applications and I got into all of those. So that was sort of a sort of the divine telling me that this is what I was sort of going to be successful at um, or what I was you know, more meant for, I guess. Uh, hearing my music with the Yale Symphony Orchestra, that was a, definitely a big moment. Uh, the first time that it ever happened, um, I spent hours and hours on that score. The night before, I couldn't sleep at all because I was so worried. Like, what if I didn't transpose something? Or, or what if, you know, a measure was off in one of the parts? Um, but yeah, that was a, definitely a big moment, was hearing hearing my music for the first time. It, it's sort of like a mirror, in a way, uh, seeing yourself, uh, hearing it the way it was supposed to be. My mirror was always a bit distorted and stained for a while, um, especially with going through college and and, hear, and, and having to sit through strange classes. Um, but once I heard it, it was like, oh, that's the way I'm supposed to look. And that was a good feeling. So I would say, I would say around there. Who were your orchestral influences? I wish that I had been told when I was younger to study more scores with my eyes and not just my ears, because often, uh, like take the, the the opening of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, you know, da, 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 dun, that's that's lovely. Uh, but there's a clarinet in there. It's it's all the string parts and then one clarinet. And I doubt many people can hear the clarinet. I certainly did it uh, until I actually had to look at a score for a conducting class. And I was like, well, OK, I guess I got to factor in that clarinet. Um, so there are a lot of things I feel that composers do sometimes that are not like they don't stick out to the ear. But once you look at them, then it suddenly makes sense. Like, oh, the cello and the horns are working together. I, I could only hear the horns, but the, the cello are there to support it and give it uh, a lot more of a warm sound. So uh, I, uh, I wish I'd done more with my eyes, but in terms of my ears, uh, Tchaikovsky is definitely a uh, fantastic orchestrator. Um, let me think. Uh, Rachmaninoff was always uh, a favorite of mine as a pianist, obviously, but perhaps Strauss as well. Strauss and obviously Berlioz is a, is a wonderful orchestrator. So yeah, uh, a bit more, it's interesting. There's the idea of style and orchestration and then like technical orchestration, right? So I took a jazz orchestration class and the professor kept telling me, um, hey, you should do things this way. And whenever he, whenever he changed everything around to be his way, it sounded exactly like Mahler. And that's, that's fine for a style. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I think that orchestration is not as much in terms of like rules, but it's in terms of style. So, so for instance, I can orchestrate something three different ways and make them all technically clear and make them all work, but they will sound like three different composers. Mm-hmm. So I find that, that some people often teach it as if it's a law. And I, I absolutely do not think it's a law. I think I can intentionally make things blurry if I want it to sound blurry or if I want it to sound really clear, like Mahler, then I can do that. <laughs> I think it's a choice rather than, you know, something that should be taught in that way. Are you finding that you're doing more music that, that needs to connect to others? more media music as opposed to concert music? I, to be honest, whenever I write media music, I don't 
think as much about the audience connection because that's to me that's not really the point of that music the for if i write a film score then the 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 focus is on how it supports the narrative and the dialogue and the scenes um and all of that whereas uh, I, i don't really think about how the audience member in a movie theater might connect to that because because often you know uh, a scene doesn't really need anything except for like a high string or like a, a synth pad and that's all the scene needs that's not going to like make the audience member have a, a you know a, an epiphany uh it's not going to like make them start weeping uh, openly so um so yeah i i find that with concert music that my focus tends to be more on you know connecting with the listener and making them feel something or think something uh, as long as it's intentional i don't want them to feel confusion unless i'm intending for them to feel confusion uh, but with film it's much more focused on just the director he's the only or she's the only person that i want to uh that i want to connect with and then the movie itself everything combined will connect with the audience members theoretically i, f- I find that especially some uh, beginner composers or ones who are coming out of the concert field they tend to, uh, uh, I'm going to say this very kindly, they tend to think their music is very important in that context, and that can actually make it worse for the movie. Uh, directors will be like, well, I can't even hear my dialogue anymore because you have covered it all up. So uh, so I think that it is a very collaborative process when thinking about media, and, and that's why it's it sort of, it helps me to go from one to the other because in one i'm focused on building a house and the other one i'm focused on painting a painting you can just be whatever i want to and that's lovely i think uh, i i enjoy both and they both have their advantages i want to add just i guess be genuine to yourself uh i want to add that there's no correct way to write music if you are a music professor or a music teacher of any kind listening to this like please encourage your students to be themselves uh, I, I've been thinking about this, like if I ever in my dreams got like an Oscar win or something, my speech would just be encourage students to create, not just analyze. Like in my high school, I was rarely encouraged to write. Uh, we always read Shakespeare plays. We never wrote our own plays. We always read prose from Faulkner or, or you know, anybody else, but we never wrote short stories. We always analyzed Beethoven. But I personally was never encouraged and, in fact, was often discouraged or given a cold shoulder when it came to creation. So please encourage creation. This is Jana Cole, the creator of We Are Musicians podcast. You can leave me a voicemail at anchor.fm slash Jana-Cole9. Maybe I'll play your message on a future podcast, and I really appreciate your feedback.